Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Two months until election time with plenty of surprises to come. It's election shock therapy. Hey, guys. Happy September. Woohoo! There's snow in South Dakota. What? True story. Where? And there's a frost advisory for our area, which is yep. disconcerting. So. Can we fight yep, for it somehow? Is there, can I, can, can I, is there paperwork that I can file? <laughs> there's paperwork for this file. <laughs> Winter is coming, as they say. So. I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, ready for, uh, I'm ready for an extension of summer in some capacity. Basically, it feels weird. Like, it feels like we've been on spring break for six months, and all of a sudden it's the fall. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> in the clear, it got really hot, but I don't know what's going on. Um, I said, my, you know, my, when, you, when you're a professor, it's kind of – I always tell my family this because I grew up in a, fa- a farming family. And it, really being a, a teacher is like being a farmer because mm-hmm. you have these these seasons of, of, uh, of planting – intense work at the beginning of the semester and then like steady maintenance work through the semester and then a real flurry also again at the end and that's harvest and then you have this fallow time in between semesters where you're teaching less you're sort of uh you're fixing up the things you didn't have time to fix up during the school during the during the the season and you're getting ready for the next season and there's a real periodicity to it and uh, my periodicity is all thrown off uh by the coronavirus so i don't know where i'm at this point (laughs) I know it's true. It's true. Well, we do know where we're at in terms of uh, the electoral season. We just crossed the two-month threshold. Uh, the election will be here before we know it. We've got we're gonna we're a weekly podcast now, and so we're gonna be breaking down some of the normal things we think about in the process of an election season, knowing that there are going to be some weird things in the future. So we're saving some podcasts for those things. We want to talk today about what the state of the race looks like, not in the presidential election primarily um we'll touch on that briefly but then we'll, but primarily what look uh the, the election looks like in the senate yeah so we're gonna um matt's gonna lead us through a little bit of a game on on the senate itself but first let's just talk briefly about the general election guys so where do things stand currently where are we at now that we're well past the conventions both as we mentioned last time both conventions saw a very modest bump for both candidates and that has mostly elapsed now. So we sort of returned to a, not quite a prior status quo, but we, an, an equilibrium of sorts. Where do we stand with the, with the uh, overall national election? <laughs> the 538 <laughs> forecast um, currently has um, Trump at a 25% chance of winning. That's the forecast, right? Um, the polls, which I last checked yesterday, um, showed Biden, um, and this is aggregate of polls, showed that Biden was up about 7.5 uh, points. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting that um, really the, the race has been really static 
Um, really, if you look back over the past six months, there's really not been a lot of change um, in the yeah. polls. We have seen a bit of a narrowing um, in the past few weeks, which is pretty normal um, for when we get into sort of high, you know, campaign season, especially with the conventions and past Labor Day. There's typically a bit of a narrowing. But beyond that, um, it's been remarkably stable um, and by historical standards. Um, and and basically, just in this in this environment, what we're going to see is that the media and pundits are going to look at every little thing and to try to turn it into sort of a a shift in the narrative, right? Of you know, Biden pulls ahead further, or Trump makes a comeback, or whatever. And and so every little thing is going to be sort of scrutinized and placed under the microscope and, and analyzed and beaten to death. Um, and so sort of the, the takeaway from all this is that uh, narrative is not reality. Um, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that you might hear about the debates or about jobs numbers or about COVID or the availability of vaccines and all of this. And none of these things um, is going to be um, is going to be super game changing is not going to really create a huge shift in the race. A few of these things combined together could shift the polls just a few percentage points, and that might put Trump over the edge or Biden over the edge. But um, basically, all the stuff you hear from here on out is is mostly sort of um, media spin and analysis, um, and and it's blowing sort of little things out of proportion. Um, and so. I'm sorry to be a downer and to say like it really doesn't matter, but basically almost everything is locked down at this point. Um, most people Are have made their decisions. Have the election today. Say what? Are you saying we could have the election today? Basically? Yeah. Well, and you know what? An election doesn't start in eight weeks. It starts in a few weeks, right? Because people are going to be casting ballots um, in early voting and mailing in ballots, right? And so, so people are going to be voting very soon, right? And that also um, tends to sort of lock things down as well. So, so I guess my point is, you know, really at this point, campaigns aren't going to be able to change people's mind. It's it's purely about getting the people um, on your side out to the polls and maybe discouraging a few people on the other side from going out and just having a little bit of an effect on the margins. And, and that's all we got left over the next eight weeks. It's it, The yeah. cake is mostly baked. Right. I think that's right. I mean, I think I would say two things. One is like, yeah, early voting starts in Minnesota and literally in nine days. So we're talking really soon next week. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you know, the, the thing that could maybe shift it a little more um, would be if something really dramatic happened, right? Um, and so really, you know, if you have a really dramatic sort of, you know, downturn in the economy or the numbers look really good, I mean, could that shift some voters at the margins? I think, yeah, and that could matter in some places, right? It could matter in, in close states. But for the most part, I agree. I don't, I don't think, you know, there's going to be a lot of that. I think with, you know, the way our, our society is polarized, most people have already made up their minds. And this election, as we've talked about before, functions mostly as a referendum on Trump. Um, if you are fairly pleased with Trump or at least finally like him, then you're planning to um, you know, vote him out. Right. And it's hard not to have an opinion about Donald Trump one way or the other. Um, he's a <laughs> kind of guy people have an opinion about. So uh, it does feel like most of it is you know, baked in at this point, to use Matt's analogy. Fair. Let me ask one question. And then we all, I really do want to move on to the Senate. Yes. But Biden's strategy, which we've highlighted before, seems to be um, run and hide. And uh, <laughs> it, it's proven to be quite effective so far because, um, we've, as we've noted, Biden is prone to some gaffes. And when yeah. he speaks, he tends to gaff. And 
Now, maybe Matt's right, and maybe that's not going to change anybody's opinion, but he, that his campaign is compensated for that by basically having him very controlled. And Trump yeah. has tried to latch on to this. He's been yeah. calling him basement Biden, which of all the <laughs> Trump come up with candidates, I think I could live, if I was Biden, I could live with basement Biden. Uh, yeah. But um, does at some point in these next two months, if can he can he ride that approach all the way to the to election day, or does he at some point have to start making significantly more public appearances? It's it's a dangerous strategy, um, and it's one that usually, you know, like in the modern era, I would say doesn't work well. But again, Trump is a very polarizing figure, so maybe. I mean, I'm always skeptical of the kind of prevent defense approach to winning, um, but it does work sometimes, and this might be the kind of exception. Um, it it does like if I was the Biden people, this should make this does make me nervous, right? When you think things like Trump is out there doing rallies, you know, aggressively pursuing this, and Biden seems to be sitting back. Um, usually, the person who's you know really the energetic one is the one you'd expect to be winning. Um, but Trump, as we said, is very polarizing. So maybe. Yeah. And there's COVID as well. Right. And so, you know, so many norms and expectations just have flown out the window and who knows when they're going to make a, make a return. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, so, so the sort of people that are, you know, are, you know, shaky on Biden, you know, is, is Biden making an appearance in their state going to push them over the edge? It's possible. Right. Um, so as Andy points out, it is risky. Um, but, but it's not as risky as it would normally be. So we'll, we'll see. I guess for Trump, too, is Trump has been very much sort of driving the, the media narrative um, yeah. in the past few weeks. Um, and he's if he's good at anything, it's 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 driving the media narrative in a way yeah. um, and sort of getting them to react. And um, and if you're and if you're Biden, you should be concerned about that. Right. Um, because. Um, because that means sort of um, the Trump can sort of manipulate the media to to produce a certain response. And so Biden, you know, even if he doesn't get out there and, you know, barnstorm and, and yeah. you know, the swing states, he, you know, he and his operatives have, have got to find some ways to try to wrest back some of that, some of that control. Yep. All right. Well, let's transition and talk about the Senate. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you guys. One of the things we, we we spend a lot of time talking about presidential politics, but the Senate is incredibly important. If the if if Biden even if Biden wins as as five thirty eight is predicting, he has the highest likelihood of. Actually, right. can I derail myself here and just say something? <laughs> as a political psychologist, let me just say let me acknowledge something. If you're listening, humans are not good at thinking probabilistically. Right. There's a good chance here that Biden is predicted to win in 75% of the simulations that 538 runs. You think, oh, Biden has a 75 to 25 score, like a basketball game. Right. And if you were playing a basketball game where your team was up 75 to 25, there's a 99% chance that you're going to win that basketball game if that score right. comes at any time during the game. That's not what a 75 to 25% chance means. Right. This means... It's hard to understand this, but it's hard. One out of four times, Donald Trump still wins this presidential election. He still yeah. has a very large chance of winning the election. And there are plenty of ways for him to make that happen. So when you hear 75 to 25, don't assume Biden has this enormous lead. Biden right. has a stable, small lead. I think right. the thing I would just add to that, and this is what 538 said when they came out with their initial forecast a few weeks ago, is 
if if the polls look the way they do today, right, that number then will be a lot higher on election day. Um, so they said that, you know, basically Nate Silver said, if we lie to our our model and pretend that the election is tomorrow, right, that initial like 71% chance when they came out was like 93, right? right. Um, so we'll be closer to that kind of higher score if the polls are still like, you know, a seven point gap. Um, right. But again, we have a long ways to go. That gap could narrow. And, and, the, and the reason for that narrowing gap is that because we're still, and I think I said this in our last podcast, because we are still eight weeks out, um, yep. there is a higher degree of uncertainty, right? Yep. As we get yep. closer, the, I mean, the the certainty, and that, that is a technical term, a technical sort yep. of mathematical statistical term, that certainty gets smaller. Um, and that means mm -hmm. you can make forecasts with greater confidence, also a technical term. Um um, and and I guess the other thing I'll just note about um, sort of probabilities is, I mean, Chris makes a really great point. And we are really bad at assessing probabilities, right? And so think of it this way. Um, you might think, oh, 25% chance um, that Trump wins or 20% chance that Trump wins. That means Biden is, you know, has 75 or 80% chance. That's really great. Um, you know, if you like Biden, right? Now, imagine, and I, I'm not making this analogy to say anything about Trump or Biden, but imagine we were to transport those odds into a different situation. Like there was a 25% chance that the plane you were on would crash. You wouldn't feel so great about that, would you? Um, right. Right. You know, it's all about, um, it, we're, we're bad at this because we're bad about sort of assessing sort of the, the, the risk in the outcome. Um, and so, yeah. so you gotta, you gotta sort of put away how you typically would approach thinking about these things um, and, and think of it, think of it as, you know, think of it in terms of, you know, like, three out of 10 times this election happens, Trump wins, right? Or seven out of 10 times that we run this simulation, right? Biden wins. That's how you should think of this, this model and yep. modeling in general. Yep. Okay, well, we're about to make things a whole lot more complicated because we're gonna talk about not just one race, but by about 35 races. Oh, yeah. Um, about the Senate. Matt, how do you want to break this down? Okay, so um, so I sent around a list um, to, that the three of us are going to use, and I think I'd like to throw Texas on the end of that. Um, it's in alphabetical order. Um, and this list is the states that are possibly in play. Um, there's some states that um, are electing their senators um, this year, and those, those senators are, or those, you know, those people running in these races, um, those races are pretty much locked up. Um, so Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Arkansas, um, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, Illinois, um, one or two others I might be missing, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. These are all electing, um, having senator races, and these races are mostly locked up. Um, but there's a handful of races, maybe about um, a, a dozen or so, um, in which um, there's they're up for grabs, right? Now, some of them are, you know, lean one direction or the other. There's a few that are just complete toss-ups. And so my thought is we're going to go through these alphabetically. And um, to make this fun, um, each of us is going to give our projection of whether or not the race is going to go Republican or go Democrat. So you can't sit on the fence. You have to, you have to make the call. Um, oh, and I actually, I, say what? <laughs> Oh, good. I get to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, unless yeah. you guys want to veto that, we could we can handle it. We need to move quick because we got a lot of a lot of cases. Yeah. Of okay. So before you launch in, Matt, which is to say, uh, 
we had a, uh, for people to keep in mind, every two years we elect a third of the Senate. Yes, but right. those seats are not necessarily uh, randomly or not. Sorry, right. because they come up every three years. There's no indication necessarily that right. the mm -hmm. parties are evenly based at the start of that election. And right. in this particular right. case, we have a lot more incumbent Republican seats up for other than incumbent Democratic seats. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So some years um, the, Demo the 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 Republicans are defending more turf. Some years Democrats yeah. are defending more turf. It just yeah. depends on how things went six years ago, basically, right? Because it's those seats that that are up for grabs. Um, and also, just so you kind of know the score, is Republicans currently control the Senate. They have 53 seats. Democrats have 47 seats. So to get to a tie, uh, Democrats need to pick up a net. They need a net gain of three seats to get to a tie. It'd be better if they. Um, had an outright majority, um, 51, uh, because things get interesting if you have a tie, and we can talk about that at some point too. Um, but that's that's what Democrats have to do to at least get to a tie that can be broken by um, by the vice president. Um, and if Biden wins, um, then Harris is a vice president and breaks the tie in the Senate. Yep. So, All right. Okay. So let's do it. Um, Alabama. We'll we'll do this order: Chris, Andy, and then myself. Oh, good. Okay. Now, Andy and I can agree, right? We don't have to take opposite sides on this. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. This is this okay. is call it however you want, right? This is your own independent scholarly uh, projection. And okay. along the way, we can say something about, um, you know, a couple minutes on each of these races, something that we should take note of. Okay. So in Alabama, we have a really interesting race. Uh, Doug Jones is running for re-election for the first time. Uh, but this is interesting because Doug Jones is a Democrat. So this is an unusual race in this scenario because Doug Jones uh, is probably the most vulnerable Democrat in the entire Senate. He got his seat uh, six years ago basically because the Republican nominee became so odious to everybody uh, that, um, that Doug Jones was able to slip in. But Alabama is an extremely red state. This is uh, Jones is going to lose his seat. This is going to yep. be a Republican seat. I totally agree. It doesn't even really matter who the Republican is. Um, which yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, but oh, it's Tommy yeah. Tuberville. But um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I mean, and the only reason Doug Jones won last time is because he was running against the um, not so esteemed um, Judge Roy Moore, yep. Um, yep. who was embroiled in a sex scandal uh, at the time, and um, and yeah, and so that meant that even sort of the conservative um, evangelical sorts yep. just bailed and said, nope, this is a bridge too far, um, and they stayed home, or they voted for for Doug Jones. And now he's running against um, an actual formidable, yeah. maybe not formidable, even just a decent opponent, right? And that yeah. means um, he's he's probably toast. Um, so, yeah. so I would say that this is the only uh, pickup that Republicans get. Um, so I think, you know, Republicans get Alabama. That's the only seat that they gain. And so now we're at the point that Democrats need four pickups elsewhere to get um, to the um, to to a tie. So, yep. so four is sort of the magic number, you might say. OK, so next up, we're going to try to move through these. Uh, Arizona. All right. Arizona is leaning Dem. Uh, we got Martha McSally running as a Republican. I if Joe Biden has coattails anywhere, he has coattails in the in the in the Sun Belt of the Southwest. So I'm going to say that uh, Democrats pick up this seat. Yep, I agree. I think uh, Mark Kelly seems like a formidable candidate. Martha McSally was appointed to the Senate. She's never won in her own right. She actually mm -hmm. lost in 2018. She actually is running worse this time. I think Kelly wins this, and the Democrats pick up a seat. 
Yep. And to be clear, this would be a pickup for Democrats. Um, yep. And that's important. Um, yeah. And uh, she's been trailing in the polls and, you know, really basically for a long time now. Yeah. Um, and there's no sign that yeah. she's making a turnaround. There was some hope that she'd be able to eke something out. But unless there's just some massive shift, um, yeah. she's she's done. And uh, Mark Kelly will pick up that seat for the Democrats. OK, Colorado. Um, so Colorado, uh, we have. Uh, Cory Gardner is the Republican incumbent, um, and he is the underdog. Yep. Um, and he is running up, running against uh, John Hickenlooper. Um, and my projection for this, just to mix it up, my projection, this is pretty easy, is that John uh, Hickenlooper um, picks up Colorado for the Democrats. What do y'all think? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Hickenlooper got a little bit more national attention because of his run for the president, although it was very chaotic in its own way. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Um, but he's really raised a lot of money in this race. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I always hate to bet against incumbents who have won before, um, but Colorado is going to probably go pretty heavily for Biden. It's hard to see there being that many crossovers. Um, and Cory Gardner is just in his first term. He won in that, you know, really good Republican year in 14. I think he probably loses. Okay. All right. Then I will, I'm, I'm actually keeping tabs. Um, so maybe we can come back after, after the end and see, and see how we did. Um, I, so I will put, um, I will put this under the D category for Andy, but I'll put a little asterisk by it. Um, since Andy's pretty, pretty unsure. Okay. So let's, let's talk about Georgia. So Georgia is interesting because we have two, two Senate races here. Um, so there's a special, um, a special race, which we'll get to in a minute, but let's first talk about, um, the the regular Senate election. Um, and here we have the uh, Republican incumbent again, um, David Perdue, um, yeah. and he is running against his challenger, John Ossoff. So which way do you all think this is going to go? Uh, Ossoff is beloved by the um, Democratic Party. They put a lot of energy into the, into getting him to that into that uh, race. And Georgia is getting a lot of buzz because it seems to be tilting towards Biden. He, uh, Biden is doing a lot better in Georgia than he, than pre Democrats had previously. I mean, this is the deep South. Yet, yep. I don't see, I, even though this is a toss-up on real clear, I think this stays with the Republicans. Yeah, I agree, actually. for And I'll just go ahead and say this for both races. I still think, even though Georgia is closer to purple, I still think it's more red than blue. Um, and I think, I think Donald Trump wins the state and I think David Perdue and, um, Kelly Loeffler both pull out their Senate elections. It's probably fairly close, but probably not, you know, it's probably not going to actually play. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so Georgia is, has been deeply red and yeah, they are trending more purple, um, like some other states. Um, but you know, it's been a quite a long time since a Democrat won a statewide election in Georgia. And I'm not sure this is the year in which that shifts. Um, we'll, we'll revisit that, uh, maybe in two or four years and see what happens, but I'm not sure this is going to be the year. So, um, so we put um, Republican. Um, so all three of us I'll, agree I'll that too. I think Kelly Loeffler uh, keeps her seat. Uh, in Georgia too. Yeah. 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 And this is a weird situation. So Kelly Loeffler um, was appointed by Governor uh, Kemp to basically fill a seat that was vacated by uh, Senator Johnny Isakun um, basically uh, about 10 months ago. Um, and yeah. so basically she's running for, for the full term now. Um, and what's weird about this situation is that um, they've 
basically merged the primary and the general election together. So basically there's two Democrats running, excuse me, three Democrats running and two Republicans running. And so basically whichever two um, finish, uh, whichever two finish best, those two are going to go to a runoff. Um, and right now it's the two Republicans that are um, definitely in the top tier. And even if it ends up being Kelly Loeffler versus one of the Democrats, Kelly's probably going to win. Um, so so Loeffler will probably get a full term to the Senate. And so um, we'll rack up um, both the Georgia Senate races for Republicans. OK, let's move on to Iowa. Iowa is interesting. Um, Chris, tell us about Iowa. Um, I'll, I'll try, uh, <laughs> um, who still has one of my all time favorite political campaign commercials, uh, is running for reelection. She has aligned herself pretty heavily with Trump. You would expect this to be an open and shut case. Uh, Trump typically is pulled better in Iowa, but for reasons I am not completely uh, sure, this is considered a toss-up race. She's not pulling nearly as well as we would maybe expect her to pull otherwise. Can you guys yeah. help me out with this? Why why isn't Ernst uh, comfortably uh, holding on to this seat? I think, I think Teresa Greenfield is the kind of candidate who does well in, in Iowa. I mean, she's got a great um, personal story. She's got great, you know, kind of that those farm roots. Um, she seems like a more kind of moderate Democrat. And so she's, um, you know, she seems very compelling. And Ernst has had some not great press. Um, she's open to the critique that, you know, you went in, I mean, she had that great ad, right? Talking about how she's going to cut pork in Washington. And she doesn't feel like she's done that at all, right? And so she's vulnerable, I think, to that criticism. She's had some not great personal stories. Um, her marriage has broken up in recent years. Um, so I think, you know, Greenfield seems to be kind of taking advantage of that. Um, so I actually am kind of inclined to think Greenfield might pull this out. I just, I don't know. But that's that's my gut sense is that she might do it, even though I still think Trump is probably favored in Iowa. I think there might be a little bit of ticket splitting, and it's close, and maybe Greenfield wins. Okay, so this is where we're going to first disagree, Matt, because I think she's on this, and I think she holds on to the seat. Okay, so I want to put down uh, Chris as saying that this is Republican hold, Andy thinks this is going to go Democratic, and I'm going to also say this is going to be a Republican hold by the by the faintest of 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 margins. I think there'll be enough people that are fired up about um, uh, about Trump and defeating Biden in Iowa um, that that's going to and those people are going to be the sort that are going to vote sort of a, a straight Republican ticket. I think that's going to be sort of what what pushes um, pushes um, the Republican over the edge. Um, I would be but, if you're right. This is, yeah, I mean, this is one of the few, like, just absolutely true toss-ups, according to the polls that we have right now. There's only, like, three or four of these, and Iowa is definitely amongst them. Okay, yep. let's move on to Maine. Um, Andy, tell us about Maine and the... Um, the best uh, up north accent. Yeah, uh, yeah the, plight, accent. the plight but, um, of Susan Collins. Yeah, so Susan Collins is long-term senator from Maine. Um, moderate Republican, probably the most moderate Republican in the Senate today. Um, and she's in a real fight to win re-election. Um, right now she's trailing in the polls to Sarah Gideon, um, who's a speaker of the state house in Maine. Um, this is a really hard call. Trump is doing surprisingly well in Maine compared to, um, other Northeastern states. He's not expected to win it, but he was expected to do not, not to get shellacked either. Right. Um, and so I think, um, I think, you know, she, Collins has a real shot. Uh, I'm always, like I said, reluctant to go against incumbents, especially incumbents who've won a lot of times. Um, yeah. And I do wonder um, if Maine is just kind of independent enough where there might be that kind of split. So I'm, even though she's down in the polls, 
Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and go with Collins here. Okay, we're going to disagree Dr. again. Moore. I think, uh, although I think Thomas Collins is a formidable campaigner and a main institution, I think that she's the the Northeast is going to swing even more towards Biden over the next couple of months, and I think Collins is swept up in that. And I'll take her challenger. Yeah, um, I'm going to I'm going to go with Chris on this too. Um, I think you know Collins is she's been down in the polls. Um, you know, by four or five points, which is, you know, just outside the margin of error. And she's been consistently down. I, I'm, you know, Andy makes a good point. I mean, you know, challengers, um, excuse me, incumbents typically tend to win. Um, and Susan Collins has managed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat multiple <laughs> on multiple occasions. Um, so, but I think this is, I think this is the year in which uh, she just, she just doesn't, just doesn't make it. Um, so, but but this is another one of those that I would say is is a real toss up. Even though, even though she is down by four or five points, just given how she's done historically, I would say uh, this is another one of those true true toss up states. Okay, yeah. so Chris, yeah. Chris and myself, we think um, that Collins will be defeated, and um, but Andy is a little bit more bullish. Okay, so um, let's move on to where we got uh, Michigan, Michigan. I'll take this one. Oh, so um, Gary. Say what? No, please. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So um, I honestly know almost nothing about this race. Um, so Gary Peters is currently slightly favored to beat his Republican challenger. Um, his Republican challenger is um, is interesting. His name is John James, um, and he is a young black candidate um, who has been climbing in the polls. Um, so yep. he is making headway. Um, he's, um, he's doing better um, than he had been previously. Um, he's, you know, obviously got... Um, some interesting personal backgrounds. So, um, I don't know, guys. This this one's tough. Um, what, what do y'all think? And James James ran. We should note two years ago he lost the Senate race two years ago to Debbie Stabenow, but he came surprisingly close. It wasn't expected to be close. Um, he did better than expected. This is a really hard call. Um, I don't know. On the one hand, like I think James is in some ways a more compelling candidate than Peters. Peters is just a one-term senator, so kind of like Cory Gardner. I mean, he's he's won before, but not a lot. He's no Susan Collins, right? Um, on the other hand, I kind of feel like Michigan is going to go blue. Um, I, I'm not really expecting Trump to pull off his 2016 victory there again, which would suggest Peters should win. So I guess I'm slightly still thinking Peters pulls this out, but I don't feel great about this call. A lot of stuff rides on Mich places like Michigan. If, if Trump loses yeah. Michigan, if if uh, John James can't win this seat, then you could see a democratically controlled Senate um, and yeah. Joe Biden as president. I think an event, the Republicans are going to throw a lot of money at John James for a lot of reasons, but he yeah. could be the kind of person who's the future of the Republican Party. Yeah. Yeah. I That said, Michigan doesn't stack up well for him. And this could be a place where I, I think Peters holds on close really close yep. percentage close yeah yeah I, I agree um um you know again you know incumbent sort of advantage um you know michigan is a blue state it'll be interesting if even if if john james loses his particular senate race um if if he draws some people to the polls you know young african americans minorities particularly draws them to the polls um and gets them to vote Republican. Like, what impact does that have on other races, right? Including uh, Donald Trump's chances. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's any sorts of other effects um, of the John James campaign, even beyond his own 
his own chances. Um, so we will have to see. But I think we're all sort of on the same page here. Of We think it's going to be close, um, but we think that um, Peters is going to um, win his seat. Okay, guys, let's talk about Minnesota. <laughs> um, Andy, fire us off. Yeah, so this is a another one that is surprisingly close in the polls. Tina Smith is the incumbent. She's won one term. Um, she well, basically she filled out part of a term um, after being appointed to the Senate, and she did win that election in 2018, and is back up now facing the voters for a full term. Um, Jason Lewis is a pretty Trump style Republican. He's been very closely identified with the president. He was one term member of the House during Trump's first couple years um, and then lost his reelection. I think Smith holds this. Um, it's the polls are surprisingly close. She's not uh, she's no Amy Klobuchar, who has this deep connection with the, the voters. But at the same time, I still think the state leans blue. I don't think Lewis is going to be very compelling at all to moderate voters, which not a lot of those. Um, but I, I think um, I think Smith is going to hold on. Yeah. This is my hottest and therefore wrongest take of this whole podcast. <laughs> I, I want to be bold and I want to discuss this. I'm going to make okay. a double prediction here. I'm going to bet that Biden holds on and wins Minnesota, but Jason Lewis defeats Tina Smith. Wow. That's bold. Ooh, that's I bold. Like it. That's real. Okay. Explain. I think that Jason Lewis's previous career in uh, conservative media is going to bode well for out of city voters yep. in Minnesota, and they're going to turn out and vote for Smith in ways they're not going to vote for Trump. Or for Lewis, rather, yeah. Yeah, for Lewis, sorry. For, right. gonna vote for right. Lewis. Uh, yeah, you could be right. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Jason Lewis pulls this off, but I'm just going to go in with our, our usual lean. We haven't elected a Republican to the Senate since 02. Yep. And so um, I just, but but maybe Lewis is the one who manages. It was, it was yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm going to say that Tina Smith um, manages to squeak by, but but that Minnesota may very well go for Trump, right? Because if you look at how Minnesota has gone, um, like if you look at since basically the basically the 80s um, and look at sort of Minnesota polling data um, or like, excuse me, um, vote outcome, um, every four years, the amount that the Democrats have won, the, the Democratic candidate for president has won, Minnesota has shrunk. Last time, it was by a smidgen. Um, yeah. And if Trump had actually just had one campaign rally in Minnesota and spent a few million dollars here, he very well could have won Minnesota. And so I think, and so this year, that's changing. Now, both candidates are dumping money into Minnesota, especially into the Twin Cities media market. So we'll see. Um, but I think there's a there's a really good shot that uh, Minnesota is is going to go is going to go for Trump, and because that's because the the Democratic Party here in Minnesota is is in a lot of ways different than sort of the the trends of the National Democratic Party, right? So oh, yeah. so the Democratic Party here has roots in the farmer you know farmer labor roots, right? And it's farmer labor is very sort of. Um, sort of the common man. Um, it's it's right. it's the working class, right? And these are the people that Trump has been peeling off. Um, yeah. You know, these people are not. You know, these roots are not hyper progressive, and that's the direction right. that the Democratic Party has gone nationally. And so, I think given these sort of shifts yep. and where Minnesota is situated, Minnesota is becoming more purple um, in a lot of ways. Um, so, I I'm going to say that Smith manages to to eke out a victory, um, but I'm I think that Trump also has a chance to to actually win Minnesota for the Electoral College. And and you do see on occasion you do see these splits of people yep. Yep. sort of voting for. 
you know, one party for president, but then, you know, um, splitting splitting their ticket and voting for a different party for sort of lower level, lower level offices. So yeah, that's I'm sure we'll be talking in Iowa is Trump, Trump Greenfield. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Biden Smith here. I think that they both pull it out. It's close, but they manage. But I wouldn't be shocked to see it go the other way either. I think you're right. that It's increasingly purple here. All right. OK, nice. OK. All right. Cool. So uh, next up, Montana. Yeah, so best possible candidate for the for the Democrats here was Steve Bullock, um, but I think Steve Daines pulls it out. I think Montana's more red than not. I think Trump's going to win, and I think Daines rides that to victory. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree, but I don't have a lot of good basis for that. Uh, they're basically in a dead heat, uh, um, but, the, yep. there's, uh, but there's not a lot of polling, yep. and yep. there's not a lot of people in Montana, right? So small, few. <laughs> <laughs> where retail politics really matters. Yep. Right. And I just don't have a good sense of who's got better retail politics in this race. I think either yeah. one of them could potentially out-campaign the other. And I just don't know. Yep. Yep. I think that's so right. Without, I think, without additional knowledge, I'll say Dance. Yeah. And if this was like a, if, if this was happening in 2022 with Trump in the White House or 2018, I think Bullock would have a stronger chance. I just think in a presidential year, it's going to be harder, but we'll see. He might pull it off. Okay, so you guys all think that the Republicans are going to hold on to Montana. Is that your is that our unified assessment? Yeah, but I just don't have a lot of information. But I'll say yes. No. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, we have very little data, and I'm. You know, we, we might get a little bit more data um, on on Montana in the future, but um, it's just not. Um, it's not a state that's polled um, probably as well as it should yeah. be. Okay, New Mexico. Um, so New Mexico is an open seat, interestingly enough. It's being vacated by a Democrat. Um, and there is, the Democrat there who's running in this race, um, Ray Lujan, or Lujan, probably boxing that name, is uh, comfortably ahead of his Republican challengers. I would definitely place this pretty comfortably in the Democratic category. Agree. I don't think we spent a lot of time on this one. I think this is safely a Democratic seat. Yep. All right. Duly noted. North Carolina. Oh man! Oh, this is, that, this is where it gets good. Yeah. This is a hard call. I, I I'm gonna go. I think Trump pulls out North Carolina, and I think Tillis rides that, uh, and and wins mm. a close reelection. So I think the Republicans hold this, but it's close. But but it's hard to call. I mean, the Democrat is ahead right now in the polls. Not only is the Democrat ahead, the Democrat has been at least since July pretty consistently ahead. Yep, and. I'm going to disagree with Andy. I'm going with Cal Cunningham here. I think that he upsets Tom Tillis. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah I agree. Um, just because of, of the polling trends um, and and where things have gone, um, and I think you know the Trump coattails effect could help could help Tom Tillis to to some extent. But but even then, you know, there's people who you know who tend to vote Republican that are really uncomfortable with Trump, right? Um, and some of these people are, <laughs> some of them live in North Carolina, yeah. right? Um, so, so I think, you know, yeah. the, the coattail effect isn't going to be as, as helpful as it would be in, in previous years. And, and that's just, that's just a problem uh, for a lot of these senators, yeah. Republican senators in general is typically, um, you know, and typically a, you know, a, an unpopular Republican uh, president or democratic president is going to try to, um, you know, not make the entire election about him, right? But that's what Trump has done, um, and that could really hurt um, hurt Republicans in the Senate. So, 
Um, okay, so Chris and I think that this is going to be flipped, that this is going to be a pickup, um, and Andy thinks that Tom Tillis is going to um, hold out. Okay, moving along, uh, South Carolina, just down where our uh, esteemed colleague is, actually. Well, this is my home state, so I'll go first and, here. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Lindsay holds this. I mean, um, you know, like the polling has been surprisingly close um, in in some ways, but South Carolina is still pretty Republican. Trump is going to win there. I feel very confident about that. Um, and I cannot imagine there's going to be that many crossovers. So, I mean, Jimmy Harrison's doing better than expected. But to me, this is kind of like Michigan, only I feel much more confident that um, the incumbent holds. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm not actually sure why this is a toss-up. Um, <laughs> the polling... Yeah, I know. Except to have an outlier poll, outlier poll from Quinnipiac, the polling is is pretty strongly plus Graham, and yep. he's an incumbent with a lot of notoriety and a lot of name recognition. I don't see how this flips. Yeah. Okay, so Lindsey Graham is going to win his bid for re-election. Okay, let's let's conclude with uh, with Texas, my home state. Um, so in Texas, uh, yeah, so Texas, uh, John Cornyn um, is uh, running for re-election, and I I think he he wins. Um, maybe it's not by a huge margin. Maybe it's smaller than um, how he's done previously, but. Um, I, I would just be flabbergasted if he didn't yep. pull off his his bid. He's he's you know one of the most senior Republicans in the Senate. Actually, um, yep. he's fairly popular. He's not a flamethrower. Um, yep. You know, he's fairly likable, um, and his he's doing very well in the polls. And I don't see any reason why um, uh, why MJ uh, Heger is going to is going to beat him. So this is comfortably a Republican hold. I would say. Yeah, I would say the same thing about South Carolina. Like I agree, it's. I think the state goes to Trump, not as maybe closer than South Carolina, um, and I, Cornyn hasn't done anything to cough up this seat. I just can't imagine that he loses. Um, I'll, make, I'll make a supplementary pick here. I think that uh, Cornyn wins Texas his seat by a greater margin than Trump wins yes. Texas. Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I would bet a lot of money on that actually. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's plenty of uh, sort of moderates in 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 Texas who, you know, are really uncomfortable with Trump, but they're going to get on board with a standard Republican, you know, all day long. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so, um, so where things stand, I'm looking at my tally sheet here. Um, and it seems that, you know, we're in agreement that Arizona and Colorado um, are going to be democratic pickups and that um, Alabama is going to be a Republican pickup. So that means Democrats would still need to pick up two seats. Right. Um, mm -hmm. We are um, in disagreement about what's going to happen in Iowa and Minnesota and North Carolina. Um, and I think we're in agreement. And Maine. and Maine, excuse me, Maine as well. So um, so amongst those four seats, we will see if Democrats are able to pick yeah. up uh, two seats total, um, which is yep. which would put, push them over the edge and get them to a tie. Yep, yep. And I think, I mean, like, I, I think I don't feel very confident about any of my picks there, even though, you know, we had to make them. Um, and I do think that's the four states where it'll go one way or the other. With an outside chance of Minnesota or Michigan jumping in on that, or Michigan jumping in on that, but we already said Minnesota. But yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. So pay most close attention to to those those races. Yep. I would say. I guess, yeah. I guess after working that exercise, the thing I'm struck by, gentlemen, is knowing that Republicans had so many more seats to defend in this cycle that really we're still kind of in a place where if Democrats gain control of the Senate, they'll only have done so by a seat or two. Right, and that's 
that's really striking. I yeah, think. Joe Biden is not going to be president and have the kind of majority in the Senate that Barack Obama had in 2009. No, he's not going to have a, a veto-proof 60-seat majority right. or anything like that. Yeah, or anything close. And he's and like, and if it's like, you keep in mind, oh, sorry, if it's like 51-49 or 52-48, right, then you have some moderate Democrats who have some pretty big power, right? And people like Joe okay. Manchin in West Virginia, who's, you know, pretty conservative, or Teresa Greenfield, maybe, if she pulls it out, if I'm right, right, um, is, you know, has to think about, okay, I'm representing Iowa, which is an increasingly conservative state, um, or Jason, you know, like, I mean, people like that, like, or even Tina Smith, if she gets chastised a bit, right? Like, I mean, how do you, how do you handle that if you're trying to think about how do I win next time, right? Um, yeah, it's true. And, and on the flip side, you know, um, there are Republicans who are moderate as well and who sort of buck um, tend to buck, you know, up, yep. up against the White House. And you might yep. see that number increase because if, yep. you know, if Trump wins, for example, um, then there's you know a lot less incentive to play along. Right. So Mitt yep. Romney, um, you know, if, if Susan Collins wins her yep. reelection. Right. Um, you know, you could you could very easily see them sort of peeling off and voting with Democrats on certain issues in which they can find common ground. Um, but again, you know, partisanship no, seems to override so much these days um, and, um, you know, expect to see, you know, plenty of uh, party line votes in, in the times to come. All right, gentlemen, this has been fun. Uh, stay tuned to this channel for more. We'll, we'll be back to talk about uh, the Senate and maybe the House and some other things next week. Uh, but until that time, you can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our channel. It's channel 3900. There's lots of good things coming on the channel. Bookish at Bethel, uh, Video Store, Tweet Victory, and lots of other things too. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Andy and Matt um, for uh, playing along with the Senate today. And until you hear from us next time, Go Royals.